So uh, tonight, if you want to go ahead and be turning to Psalm chapter 73, we're going to be starting off in verse 25 there. Um, We are now several sessions into our study on heaven now. Um, In the beginning, we just kind of introduced where we were going, uh, mentioned that we're going to spend a considerable amount of time in the coming months uh, digging into understanding and asking questions about heaven. And then we kind of started off um, with probably one of the more difficult questions that could be asked um, regarding uh, the real nature of hell, and then following up from that, just wanting to address how it is that we could, if we don't forget about this world, how it is that we could have any hope of enjoying heaven with um, any kind of knowledge of um, any individual being in hell and how we might think about that. And then uh, last week, I wanted to take a moment because he- heaven is not the default to kind of uh, put forward just a simple invitation just in case for anybody that was here or anybody who might follow along um, listening at some point in time in the future on the recordings that we uh, put up for this. Uh, just an invitation to the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel and um, the hope that we have in it. So now as we gather here tonight, um, From tonight forward, we're going to be just kind of marching through the questions that I kind of outlined in that introductory um, session. And any other questions that come along uh, as we go, we're going to add those to that list and continue on. There have been um, a number of questions that have gotten added to that uh, since we've gotten started. So uh, that's really encouraging. Um, Interestingly enough, many of those are coming from the kids Um, So if you're not a kid and you have a question, still feel free to get with me, Um, especially as we go and certain answering certain questions may lead to other questions you might have. Just mention it to me. Um, I'll add it to the list and we'll just kind of keep going. But tonight I wanted before we start answering any more questions, I wanted to kind of start um, with some with a guiding principle and some methods of exploration that we're going to be using as we continue through this study. So tonight, um, hopefully, we'll see how long it takes. There's quite a bit of, of scripture, but um, we're not going to spend too much time in any particular one. Um, I just want to kind of get these guiding principles out there, and we will be reminded of these things each and every time that we dig into every question that we come to in the future. Um, so the focus of this session is going to be uh, on Jesus. There's two primary reasons that I want us to focus on Jesus here, and those are, one, he is going to be the guiding principle going forward, and we'll examine that a bit uh, tonight as well. We're going to look at an example um, tonight that we have, this is not going to be the first time if you've ever heard me teach or if if you, most of you have, um, we're not going to be covering something new tonight, but we're going to be covering a sliver of something that we've covered, that I myself have covered. I went back and looked through all of the different lessons that I've taught um, over the years. Welcome, Caroline and Eva. <laughs> um, and so here, here I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little background if you want to go back and listen to. Uh, how that we have covered this in the past, um, and you can. There are hours worth of this that you could go back 
and kind of review. So um, Christmas of, of 2022, uh, a sermon that I, that I called This is What Heaven Looks Like, we addressed this same type of issue and we did that in depth over about 45 minutes to an hour's time. Um, in the systematic theology study um, that we have been had been embarking on for about two or three years, um, in the last sessions of that, sessions that I titled The End and the Beginning, which there are four parts there, uh, we also um, touched on these principles throughout that study. There was a five-part study that we did in the systematic uh, through systematic on the resurrection. So you can go back up and look at the resurrection. There are five different parts. We cover this in depth there. There's also a historical theology session that we did dealing with the resurrection, and we dealt with this in depth there. And then you could go all the way back to January of 2018, a sermon called Resurrection Hope, and the same principles that we're going to be talking about tonight, we went in depth on then. So, um, if this is new material for you, um, you know you aren't listening. <laughs> so it, this is this should not this not should not be new material. Um, uh, and one of the reasons that I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on it now is because, um, in some regards, it feels like beating a dead horse. Um, this is the way that I approach the text generally, and um, this is a. An approach that I encourage you likewise uh, to use as well. So one, the guiding principle, uh, especially when we're considering heaven and all of the topics that we will cover in the future regarding heaven. Here's the guiding principle. We can put it simply. Jesus is the ultimate reward. All right. So our guiding principle for everything that we will address in the future in this study can be summarized in this way. Jesus is the ultimate reward. I would go so far as to say that heaven would not be heaven if he were not there. If we have everything that we look at in the coming months in heaven, but we find it absent of him, then it is in fact hell to us. Right? Um, Samuel Rutherford says it this way. And this is a quote from him. Oh, my Lord, Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me. For thou art all the heaven I want. So that under, undergirds everything that we're going to be thinking about and considering. And I would go so far as to say, um, when we consider all that God has created, and we're going to look at several passages of text that kind of get to this point uh, here in a bit, but uh, just to put it out there uh, in front of you now, is that all that God has created, He has created to demonstrate His glory to you. When you look out at the night sky and you consider the infinite distances between us and what might look like a star, but in fact be galaxies, Filled with stars. And it brings you to a point of wonder. He created that. To demonstrate something about His character and His nature to us. So I'm going to go so far as to say is that all that God has created. All that He upholds. He does so. So that we can learn and experience more about who He is. His greatness. The grandeur of 
who He is in His deepest selves and that we will leverage those things, those created things, to know more about who He is and what He has done and what He continues to do. And if that truth applies for us today, if you can look out at all He has created and glory and marvel today, how much more so when you find yourself freely seeing clearly without the sin that hinders you today. So um, we're going to start in Psalm chapter 73, verse 25 and 26. A couple of weeks back when we were uh, considering hell, we ended and I kind of made reference to this text as a way of considering and thinking about um, how our perspective will be changed when we are uh, when we find ourselves in, in glory and that uh, more than we ever could here on this earth, the truths of this text will, will ring um, more real than ever for us. So Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So um, it is my prayer that as we press on week after week, and I'm going to do my best to try to make a point to do this. If I fail in doing this, feel free to mention to me, Landon, you didn't show us how this question brings us back to look at Christ more faithfully. But that is my hope, is that as we address all of these questions, as we consider heaven over the coming weeks and months, that each answer would not cause us to necessarily look at that thing, right? But to consider how that reality God might use in eternity to help us see Him more clearly. Right? So that's kind of the, the guiding principles. Everything that we do in this study, ultimately, what I want it to do is I want it to bring it, us back, bring our focus back, our thoughts back, our mind back, our heart back to considering Jesus. Because Jesus ultimately, if all that we will talk about in the coming weeks fails to exist and we find ourselves in a void, and there is us and Jesus, then it will be more heaven to us than if we had all that the earth could provide us here. Right? So, with that being said, we're going to look at a couple of places in Scripture now. Um, if you want to go with me now to Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. We're going to look and kind of consider for a moment how that Scripture makes this known to us throughout that the things that we see, the things that God has created should cause us to shift our eyes and consider Him, right? So Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. How many of you find yourself on a 
daily basis, uh, so busy and so consumed that you don't take a moment to consider where it is that you find yourself, whose it is that you are. How many of you find yourself not looking towards the heavens ever at all? How many of you find yourself so busy with the toil of this life that you don't for a moment sit back and realize where it is that you find yourself in life? That you find yourself on this planet, amongst planets in a solar system, amongst solar systems, in a universe filled with an innumerable number of worlds. The heavens declare the glory of God. If we find ourselves never considering the greatness of the things that God has done, then we will miss out on, on something that He has created to help us get an idea of who He is. He could have created many Worlds in which He could have placed us that were n- n- not as beautiful as the one that we find ourselves in. Not, as, not filled with as, as much joy. Now you may find yourself going from week to week and trial to trial, never realizing the joys that He allows you to enjoy because you find yourself so focused on the difficulties or the trials. But if we would stop for a moment, we would realize that He has placed us in a world where there is much to be enjoyed. And I'm not talking about just worldly pleasures. I'm talking about the enjoyment of your family, the enjoyment of your friend, the enjoyment of a moment. How many of you go and sit down to eat and you can't even enjoy it because you're rushing through it to go somewhere? And yet you could find yourself in a world in which food was just a necessity to survive and not a place where you can... I think many of us probably can agree that we can find enjoyment in a good meal. Right? These are the joys of creation that God has allowed us to experience. And in those things, they reflect something about His nature. Are you looking? Do you consider it? Do you pay attention to those small things in life, those small joys in life? That if you would pay attention to them, that they would reflect for you something about the character of God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. If you want to consider the type of craftsmanship, have a look out at the night sky. Have a look out at a beautiful scene in His creation. And consider when you do who it is that has fashioned that, that has fashioned your eyes so that you could perceive those things and find enjoyment in them. Psalm chapter 97, verse 6 echoes the same type of reality. The heavens proclaim His righteousness. So the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork there in Psalm 19. Psalm 97, the heavens proclaim His righteousness. How could that be? How could it be that the heavens proclaim something about His character and nature? But it's true if we would stop for a moment and think and consider 
And here's what I will say to you is that as we start taking this idea and start shifting it towards heaven and we start applying it to us there without the sin that that entangles us and prevents us from being able to consider those realities fully, that there we will find ourselves enjoying the simple things. And even in the simple things, we will be glorifying Him through them. And I want us, this is again the guiding principle of this entire study, is that as we consider the things of heaven, that we would consider each and every time how it is that those things demonstrate to us something about Christ that helps us Cherish Him more. That helps us see His character more clearly. So, again there in Psalm 97, verse 6, the heavens proclaim His righteousness and all the peoples see His glory. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. This is probably one of the foremost verses for this reality. Um, here in the opening chapter of one of the greatest books ever written, Paul here points us to this truth that verse 20, Romans chapter 1, for his invisible attributes, namely, and he's specific about this, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived. How have they been clearly perceived? By who have they been clearly perceived? I want us to think about this for a moment. Is there anyone who has ever lived who has not seen these invisible attributes of God in the thing that He's created? For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, Scripture says have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We can see and know truth about God by observing His creation. And if we can do that here and now in the fallen state that we find ourselves, imagine how much better we will become at seeing Him in the things that He's made when He removes these blinders that hinder us now. Right? So, Romans chapter 9. We're moving at a really good pace tonight. I hope you all can appreciate that. (laughs) Romans chapter 9, verse 22 through 24. Now, I want us to pay attention to this as well because this is we've seen how He can make Himself known in... His creation. What are you and I? Are we His creation? Is He free to demonstrate Himself in us? In our lives? Is He free to show us things about Himself in the way that He treats you and I? We see this here. Again, the relationships that we have Um, the lives that we live, God makes clear to us in His Word that He's demonstrating something about Himself in the relationship that He has with us. 
What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power again, is it wrong for God to want us to show us all of who he is? Do you think that we will do you think that we can worship him better knowing him more clearly and fully? Absolutely. Absolutely. I sure hope so. I I sure hope that he didn't just kick this whole thing off in the way that it is now so that one day we're like, did anybody figure out why he worked it out like that? I sure hope that he's doing it for a reason and for a purpose. And, And he's clear in telling us that he is, in fact, doing that. So what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience? Patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. So we can see him in his wrath demonstrating his character in his creation. We can see him as he demonstrates glory and mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Speaking of those mercies of glory, which... Uh, I pray that each and every one of us are. Verse 24. Even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Considering all that we will experience in heaven, we can expect creation to have a similar yet enhanced role in expanding our knowledge, understanding, and joy of God. I'm going to say that again. Considering all that we, have, that we will experience in heaven, we can expect creation to have a similar yet enhanced role in expanding our knowledge, understanding, and joy of God. And I will pause there for a moment and um, encourage you that if if you do not consider all the handiwork of God and in so doing glorify Him for the thing that He has done and is doing in His creation, you should. You should. God desires for us to know, experience, and relate to Him fully. And heaven will be the perfect environment for us to perfectly experience God. I'm going to say that again. God desires for us. He desires for you to know, experience, and relate to Him fully. And heaven will be the perfect environment for us to perfectly experience God. So, this is the guiding principle that we will follow each and every step along the way. Now, um, we're going to take a minute. We're not going to go into all that we could. We will be looking at a pretty big chunk of text, but trust me when I say that there will be things that are left on the table tonight for you to go and mine out yourself. Um, We're going to look at the method, the pattern of exploration that we're going to use um, here going forward. Um, The reason that I mentioned those the number of places that we've covered this in the past is because it's important for you to get good at this, right? 
Do you believe that every word that is written in the Holy Scriptures is true and worth examining? Do you? Do you believe that? Even the, even the ones that seem insignificant, are they worth our consideration? Okay, then what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to use our minds, read God's Word, and think and consider. Now, I know that's a big thing to ask in the middle of the week on Wednesdays when you've come, you've like probably like came swerving in here just so that you could be here on time and, and you're exhausted. If you would join me on Wednesday nights engaging your minds, engaging your hearts, engaging your spirits, I, I promise I will in no way lack in preparation. I pray that you would come ready to engage. Will, will you all do that with me? Okay, we're going to do a little bit of that tonight. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 36 through 53. So normally, when I've done this in the past, because this I normally don't start here. I normally start way earlier, just after the resurrection, um, as Jesus is kind of walking along the two disciples on the road. Um, I normally start there, and because of that, we're all exhausted by the time we get here, so we spend less time here. So I thought, since I've done this a number of times, I'll start at a different place and demonstrate the same type of principles along the way. So as we examine in the future, and this is what I want us to get when we're getting here, the, watch the approach that I take when I go through this text. All right? Pay attention to the way that I look at the Scriptures here. Every word is important. Every detail is worth considering. Right? We're going to take the same approach in considering Scripture and thinking about Scripture, and this will help us answer questions about heaven that you may not have thought were possible to answer with Scripture. Like, are your pets going to be there? Do you, do you think that I'm going to on that set, the night that we cover the session about your pets being in heaven, that I'm going to be like, okay, so now I'm going to step away from the Word, and I'm just going to talk about what Landon wants to be true? Do you think that's the approach that I'm going to take? No, the approach that we're going to take is that we're going to look at God's Word, examine God's Word, look at the small details and extrapolate from that what we could consider from that text. That's what we're going to do here as we look at this. So um, we've probably got, I'm going to give us 10 minutes here. Um, let me look just to make sure I don't. Okay, so we're going <laughs> to, as soon as I say that, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do 14 minutes. Give me to 7.15. <laughs> I'm going to try to be done by then. Um, we'll see how well that works. So Luke chapter 24. This is after the resurrection, and, and we're going to be paying attention to Jesus after the resurrection and using this to consider what we can see and think about when it comes to ourselves experiencing a resurrection life. The only thing that we can do in that regard is to look to the first fruits. That's Jesus. So if we want to know what it looks like, we need to look at Him and pay attention to the details. And I don't know about you, but when I look at Scripture, oftentimes I wish that there was more of those 
40 days that he was here afterwards that we could glimpse into. If books could be filled with those things, I oftentimes find myself wishing some were. I say that to say that at times it can seem as though we are left with precious little in regards to considering that. But if we pay attention to the details, oh, the things that we could see from it. Verse 36. So Luke chapter 24, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. I'm going to read um, down through verse 43, and then we're going to come back and look at a couple couple of places here. Um, As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Now, we'll probably try to go to verse 44 here in a little bit, but this is a good little breaking point for us to go back and us to think about if we're considering Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, this body that he has, and we're saying, what does it look like? We we look at this text and, and we start pulling out details from it. What can we see? Jesus himself stood among them. Was this another Jesus? Was this a different guy? Did they was this a, someone they had never met before? Who was it that stood before them? Jesus stood before them. One thing that I want us to consider, one of the s- small things that we take for granted, and, and a lot of what we're going to be doing as we pay attention to the little things, is we're going to be removing or, or pointing out the things that we take for granted. Right? And here's one of the things that we take for granted. When, when it says that it's Jesus himself stood before them, is there's continuity between the Jesus that existed before the grave and the Jesus that existed after the grave. Do you all know what I mean when I say there's continuity between the two? That it's a line unbroken, right? That it's, that it's continuous. That the same Jesus that was Jesus himself before is Jesus himself after. Now, of course, there's something miraculously different about this Jesus because we're going to go on to say when he ascends into heaven that this Jesus that ascended into heaven did so bodily and will return bodily so as you and I all know and experience on a daily basis, our bodies don't last too long. So the body that he has is different. But it can still be said that this is Jesus himself here. And he said to them again, he said to them, what, would, what do I need to use to say something to you? A mouth. I need to be able to speak. Okay, let's consider what it takes for Ray to hear my voice. Okay? And what it means of the... Was your body made for this world? Yes, is the answer. That's a, <laughs> you, you were made to live in this world. This is why you can live in this world. Now, when I speak, I'm vibrating air in the world around me that is not me. Right? That, that air, that vibration makes its way to Ray through the environment that we share and hits his eardrums 
And then an electrical signal is processed in his brain so that he hears the words that I say. Now I'm made for this world. Right? So it doesn't surprise you that I can interact with this world. And that I can transfer information to you through the medium of the world around us. But here's what I want us to consider. The Jesus that was raised, made for the next world, interacts with this one. And said to them. Now this wasn't like if you were a bystander, that you would, it would be some telepathy that occurs. He's not come back as an alien and then you're just reading his mind. Jesus is speaking in the resurrected body and it's vibrating the air, it's vibrating the eardrums, that's sending electrical signals. And then when they communicate, because they were made for this world, it's vibrating the air, hitting his eardrums, and we could presume electrical signals, Moving in his brain. Do y'all see? Is that a stretch? Is it like, am I taking a step too far in, in thinking that he is in a body that interacts with the world that we find ourselves in? So perhaps the world that we can hope for and experience, the bodies that we ourselves will have will be like his. So perhaps the world that we hope for will have more in common with the world that you experience today than you perhaps considered in the past. It's just small things. He speaks and you can hear. They could hear here in this world. We will hear him there as well. He says peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Of course they did, because dead people stay dead. And this is a first of its kind here. And he said to them, again, he's speaking, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. What is he? Again, he's pointing to this continuity between who he was that they knew and who he is now. And he's saying, it's me, guys. It's me. You, you think that it's a ghost because you didn't think this was possible. Touch me and know that it's possible. Right? They're astonished now, as we would be as well. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Again, a, a couple of things to consider. How would they see? How would they see? How do you see? Let's consider this. Let's think about this for a moment. Does, does, your, does your body project something out into the world like radar so that you can perceive? No, you're, you're not a bat. You don't do echolocation. The way that you see is the world around you, the sun in particular, light bulbs if you're inside, produces light that bounces off of other objects and then finds itself landing in the back of your eye. And then your eye perceives based off of those reflections of the light bouncing around. That's why if we turn the room off, what do you see? Absolutely nothing. If there is no light, you see nothing. Your eyeball detects. So, 
What can we consider then? If they see his flesh and bones, there's the flesh and bones part, which we'll get to. But for them to be looking and light bouncing off of him, what does that mean about his body? That the light is reacting to his body in the same way that it does for you and I. That he's made for this world that we all hope for. But what we can perceive about the body that he has is that it interacts with the one that we know very well in a way that I think that it's pretty safe to assume that it's not just going to be some magic transformation that happens in the next, but that perhaps the bodies that we will be given that can interact with this world will interact in the next. Right? That when you are looked upon, like when you see me in heaven, that I will be able to truthfully say to you that perhaps it's the first time we see each other in eternity. I'm like, hey, it's me. It's me. It's not some other thing. It's not some. It's me. There's continuity between the me of today and the me of 10,000, 10 million years from now. It will be me. I will continue to have my identity as me. You will continue to have your identity as you. We will not like merge into some like cosmic consciousness and become indistinct from everything else. You will be you forever. I will be me. Forever. Jesus will be Jesus. He will be Himself forever. Now let's think about the bones thing for a second. Um, so he, we clearly, they're not x-raying Him here. So He's giving them some insight into what the makeup of the inside is. Right? So when He says, look, it's me, flesh and bones. Right? It's me. What is He telling us about the inside? What do you have inside of your arms? Hands. Blood. Bones. Muscles. Tissue. Right? What is, is he just saying like, it's like skin and bone and there's air in the middle? Or, or is, is that what he's saying? Because he doesn't say, it's, he, he could have taken a lot of time and said, it's me, I have flesh and bones and there's fat and there's, uh, proteins in there, there's intestines. He could have given us a lot of like detail about what was on the inside, but it's sufficient for him just to say flesh and bones. Right? This is a common way of me telling you that it's me, I'm real, this is a body like you would expect it to be. Right? And we see this play out uh, even, even more as he goes on to eat and consume food here. So, um, and when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet, and they still disbelieved because they were doubtful people. Is that they can't believe their eyes? No, what's going on here? Why would they still disbelieve? Because th- this is not like they were actually disbelieving. This was like that type of like awe-inspiring. Like when you see him for the first time, it is not as though you will not believe it, but there will be so much awe and wonder that you will look dumbfounded on your face as your brain is trying to process all that's in front of you. Like this is them realizing the hope that was before them in this moment. 
Like when it says this, that disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Like they are like, what? I saw them kill you. And he's like, yeah, feel the scars. Flesh and bones. Like think about what they must have experienced and felt in that moment when this guy that they had been walking and talking and living life with, that they had thought was dead and gone, they find before them, miraculously restored. And restored to something much, much, much better. And he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Again, like, as I consider these texts like this, and we're right up against time, um, I think to myself, why not put something more miraculous here? Then you ate fish. The point of this is so that we can see the continuity so that we can see something that we can hold on to. It's, you know what it's like to eat. You do. You know what it's like to eat, to find pleasure in that. And again, like there's a, we could go on and on and on um, using this approach. Like If he ate the fish, what happened? What can you assume happens on the inside of this resurrected Jesus as he's eating the fish? Like you've heard me jokingly say in the past that it's not as though he was eating it and it's like a Casper ghost type figure and the food just falls to the floor. When he eats the fish, you assume that he's chewing it with real teeth, swallowing it into a real stomach that's processing that food. Why do we eat? Why do you eat? Well, we eat because we enjoy eating, but why else? For energy. For energy. So here, is it too far of a stretch to say that when Jesus' body eats, that it consumes that food in the same way that ours do, so that he could fuel his body to move? Is that a stretch? Is that unbelievable? I think that the whole reason that it's put in here for us to see and pay attention to is to realize that it's very believable. That his body works in many ways. Like what we are familiar with today. So we can use that, project that into our hope, and consider that same reality. Now, we have run up against the clock here. Um, and I want to be... Um, I want to be mindful of that time. So we're just going to we're just going to read the last little bit and then we'll close. Then he said to them, "These are my words that I spoke to you, this is verse 44, while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled." Actually, I apologize for having told y'all a lie. I'm going to pause right here and I want us to think for a second about what he's just said. Then he said to them, so again, using his voice, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. What is he doing here when, he, when he's doing this? What, if, I, if I say, do you remember when I said, what am I, what am I causing you to do? To recall, to cast your mind back to a memory, 
to a moment. Now, Jesus is after the resurrection. This continuity is not just in physical form that he could say it is I myself, but this Jesus that exists after he's been raised causes them to recall to a moment before. Again, his memory doesn't stop at I woke up from the grave. But it goes back to what we would call this life. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And this is we'll stop with this because I think this is one of the most beautiful hopes that we have. Is that if you're going to remember this world, he is the comforter that will open the scriptures to you. To make sense of it all. We don't have to forget. We don't have to forget. We don't have to like write off good thinking about heaven. For the sake of the difficult questions that we might have. We can trust that the same one that speaks back to this life for them. And then shows them through the prophets, the Psalms and Moses that opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, that He will do the same thing for us. And perhaps, perhaps we will spend a good deal of eternity thinking about this life, about this world, about His Word with Him. Him showing us. Just like we read earlier in Romans chapter 9, God desiring to show, desiring to show. That doesn't end in this world. He's going to desire to show us who He is for all of eternity. For all of eternity. And the word that is powerful to do that for us today will continue to be useful in demonstrating that to us then. Y'all with me? All right. So we're going to close with that. I'm going to close this in prayer.